Hey, you beautiful people. Welcome to episode 16 of Tabletop Sessions Podcast. We're going to be running one host short. Ipo, um, he was actually moving back to Greece and wasn't yet settled in. It's also why we were late. We were trying to accommodate him, but he hadn't settled in. And we said, you know what? we got to release this episode without him with just us three. But I promise you, he'll be back for episode 17. Uh, so look forward to that. But for now, I think you'll like it. This episode um, was maybe um, a little uh, light on the dad jokes. We miss Hippocrates. But I think it was good. We, we had a lot of deep topics and a lot of interesting things. And I hope you enjoy it. Our sister podcast, um, Story Smith's podcast, just started season two. They've already released episode one of season two. And uh, in that episode, they created, it was a one-off one episode, and they created a anime series in one hour using a randomly generated list of tropes that you usually see in anime series. It's quite hilarious. It's, it's a lot of fun and we highly recommend you check that out. If that sounds interesting at all to you, people, it, it kind of gives you the, the experience of being in a writer's room and how people come up with ideas and the skeleton of a story and how the plots will develop over time in just a one hour format. So definitely check out story Smiths. You can find them on Twitter and on Instagram both at StorySmithsCast, that's S-T-O-R-Y-S-M-I-T-H-S-C-A-S-T. Again, that's S-T-O-R-Y-S-M-I-T-H-S-C-A-S-T. So check them out on Twitter and Instagram. Um, check out episode one. I'll have the link to their first episode in the episode description of uh, episode 16 of Tabletop Sessions. Uh, we hope you check them out. We hope you enjoy this episode. Um, you're looking great. You look great. Uh, is that a new haircut? It suits you. You look awesome. I missed you. All right, boo. Anyway, on to the episode. Here we go. Here we go. No, no. All right. right. I'm going to trade you two sheep for that wood. Tell me, honey, does that sound good? Cause all I really want to do Is take away longest road from you, yeah Welcome to these tabletop sessions Welcome to the, welcome to the, welcome to these tabletop sessions Hello fellow gregarious geeks and gamers Welcome to the 16th episode of the Tabletop Sessions podcast, where we talk about all things tabletop-related that have been occupying the hearts and minds of this international group of gamers over the course of the last three weeks. My name is Elias, and with me this week, we're running this with one host less. Hippocrates is in transition, having moved back to Greece, and is yet to settle down, but rest assured he'll be back for episode 17. In the absence of our... Greek deity of awful dad jokes. I'm going to need the rest of you guys to step up. Dima here, stepping up. And I'm Byron, and I'm already dancing with Chan and Tatum. That's how much I stepped up. <laughs> is, that a, is that a joke from a movie I don't get? Yeah, from uh, Step Up, the movie. Channing Tatum was in Step Up? Yep. Damn. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> he was in Step Up. He was in Magic Mike. He was... The guy loves dancing. 
<laughs> I mean, to be fair, he is what women would call eye candy, so. Yeah. But, but so am I, and I don't dance, so. <laughs> oh, no, I don't believe that. I saw you at your wedding. <laughs> yeah, I, I dance quite a bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kick off tonight by talking about Madeira. The collector's edition is out on Kickstarter, and it looks pretty good. What do you guys think? <laughs> well, um, by the time you guys hear this, depending on when this comes out, you should have between seven to nine days to <laughs> to to, uh, to get on Kickstarter and back this. Plenty um, of time. Yeah, the Kickstarter, it looks cool. I mean, they're offering a second edition of the basic edition, which is nice for those people that want a lower cost option. And they're also offering the expansion, um, like that game needs an expansion. And uh, and then they're offering the Kickstarter for those that want the pretty version. And from what I can see, they look like they've got silk screen printed wooden tokens. They've got metal pirate tokens. Um it looks it looks good. It looks it looks a little bit like a tasty minstrel sort of uh, deluxe edition. We, I, know, yeah. I know it's not tasty minstrel, but it looks a lot like that. Do we have any game pieces which have silky surfaces? I don't think so. Byron has um, Colosseum. Oh, okay. Silk, yeah. I haven't seen it. Yeah, no. Okay. It does feel a lot like tasty minstrel, even so far as the fact that they haven't posted any actual images of what they're providing. <laughs> yeah, very true. But that imagining is a classic tasty minstrel move. <laughs> it's not tasty minstrel, guys. It's what's your game? <laughs> um, yeah, it looks it looks cool. Well, I mean, what it comes down to is forgetting what it looks like. Let's talk about the game because we've been playing Madeira quite a bit recently. We've played it in person. I have the original first edition, and. Um, and we've been playing it online on Board Game Arena as well. Um, it's uh, published, as I said, by What's Your Game and designed by Nuno Bizarro Santiero and Paulo Soledad, who is one of who are one of my favorite design teams because they're the design team behind Panamax and Nippon. And mm -hmm. Panamax is one of the, my highest rated games. Uh, it was originally published in 2013, but you can get the second edition or this collector's edition this year along with the expansion. Um let me give you guys a basic idea about Madeira. The theme, not that it matters in the least, is about the Portuguese occupation of the island of Madeira. So you're occupying it and you're exploiting it. Whoever exploits it the best wins. That's the that's the basic idea. What you're doing in the game is it's a it's a complex dice placement game at its core. Uh, but every spot, there's a couple things you can do. You can do character actions that move around. They're like tiles on different spots that move around every turn, or you can just harvest resources. Um, you also have workers on the board that harvest resources or grab you resources from the town. Um, and um, it, it, there's just so much happening there. And based on the amount of actions that you take on each spot, there'll be a different cost to pay to the character. You can do that and gain another benefit, which is awesome or more likely you can't pay and you're going to end up taking pirate tokens, which are worth negative victory points. I don't, I mean, you're not going to get a clear idea of Madeira, but it just rest assured that there's a dice placement element. There's a worker placement element, and it's all about using actions and then paying later. And if you're not able to pay later, you take a penalty for it. Um, 
I'm I'm going to just jump into what I th- I like about this game. Just for you guys who are thinking about backing this Kickstarter, let me tell you what I like and what I don't. I really like how much it rewards long-term strategy. You have scoring tokens that you can score on rounds one, three, and five. There's five rounds. You score one on round one, two on round three, and three on round five. But you don't you don't always you don't only have one option. So you could have one token that you hold on to and score at the end of the game in round five to maximize what you can score with it. So it really rewards that efficiency, that that, that long term thinking, that long term uh, planning over the course of five rounds. And I really love games like that. Um, I also really like the flexibility and what to score. So you get to choose which tiles you want every time you're choosing turn order, which really lets you customize your gameplay. It's not like you have to score everything. You can focus or you can diversify. It's up to you. Also, whilst the pirate tokens suck, there's almost always a way back from those pirate tokens. So you're never just out of luck and you're going to end up with shitty negative points. There's ways back. There's allies from the guild you can get that remove half the number of um, pirates you have. Uh, Every time you add someone to the city guard, you remove a certain number. So you're definitely not screwed just because you get a few pirate tokens early in the game. And another thing that's very positive to me is how desperate you feel in the game sometimes. Like it doesn't really hold your hand. Whilst it's a little forgiving because you can come back from the pirate thing, you still do not feel like there's enough actions to accomplish anything that you want to accomplish. But at the same time, there's multiple, multiple ways to accomplish anything. So it's not like someone took a spot and that's it. You're shit out of luck. There's no way to accomplish it. For example, somebody takes the shipping guy, the last spot on the shipping guy. Well, there's always, you know, options on the player board and the turn order track. There's guys you can use from the guild. There's um, there's uh, pirate dice that you can use if you don't have dice that are high enough to go there. So there's always these multiple options to accomplish things. So if, if that sounds good to you, like a long-term game that's flexible, where you select what you're scoring, uh, that's punish, that's hard but not too punishing, I, I really recommend uh, Madeira. We've had a really good time. The bad things for me are it's quite difficult to teach. It's it's maybe uh, the hardest game other than Kanban that we've come across to teach. But it's not hard to grok. There's just a lot going on in the game. So um, if you were patient enough to last, you know, an hour plus to listen to the rules, you could learn Madeira. And the other thing is, and it, it goes hand in hand with what I just said, there is no theme to speak of. I mean... These guys have shown they can do a lot of stuff with theme with Panamax. Um, Panamax is a very thematic Euro. And with this game, I feel like they didn't even try to put in a theme. And it comes across. Why am I doing this? I don't know. So over the course of the game, I was just sitting there. It's not like you can explain, so this is what you do. And then, you know, the pirate tokens don't make any sense. Why are they pirate tokens? There's no pirates in the game. Or um, why are you... um, why, why does this guy do this? I, I don't really know. Why do you get resources for the neutral group in the city? Because the rules say so. Like, there's no <laughs> thematic help that's coming yeah. through. And that's really my only negative about the game. The difficulty in teaching, and whilst I don't care about there being a theme, I do care about theme helping me to teach it. So if something makes sense thematically, it's much easier to understand. But other than that, I really recommend the game. I think it's a great game. And if you're a fan of heavy games, 
definitely check out Madeira. Check out this collector's edition if you have the funds. If not, you can always pick up the regular edition. That's what I have, and it's lovely. Both of you have played this game. What do you guys think, Byron? I think it's one of the hottest games I've played in <laughs> in a long time. It's very unforgiving. I agree. And, and you th- you say you can claw your way back into the game, but I, I don't believe that. After round three in a two-player game, if you, you're not equal, you're not going to ever be equal. Um, the rules are very unforgiving, and it just feels like this is not the type of game for people that don't like heavy games. It's not even like a, a gateway to heavy game. Um, no. That, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know about a two-player game because I haven't played it two players, but I will tell you the story of when we played it, the first time we played it, um, I was lagging behind everyone by round three. I was like 10 points behind everyone else because I hadn't invested in the city and I wasn't able to get anything. And at the end of the game, I tied for first place. So you can catch up. I I, I don't think you can't catch up. Maybe in a two-player I think also you had played with an experienced player. So True. I don't I think this is definitely a game that will punish newbies over for over experienced players. One hundred percent. Yeah. Do you mind your thoughts? This is the third time I play it in two weeks. And I finally feel like the whole game is clear to me. Like now I finally feel like I can have a strategy and I can sort of see my strategy sort of till round three or four heck i still make mistakes yeah i made a mistake that cost me six bucks like it's uh (laughs) so so i definitely feel like the more you play it the more of an advantage you have just because the game like it's not very coherent so there's no like flow it's very fragmented and it's hard to link things together um what was other play game we played with the guilds the push and pull Feudum. Feudum. So in Feudum, it was complicated, but you still felt like there was a story behind the different actions. In this game, you can't really link anything that together. That is an excellent comparison. So, I mean, yeah. Feudum, I would think, pound for pound, is a harder game to learn and teach than Madeira. Mm-hmm. But the theme helps you so much yeah. that it feels like it's easier, even though you're giving way more information than in Madeira. Feudum has way more possible actions. Mm-hmm. And yet people seem to grok that faster than Madeira. Um, and I think the theme has a lot to do with that. Yeah. But you guys have been talking about the heaviness and the ability to learn it, but what do you feel about the gameplay? Honestly, like on my third game, I I finally understand like how to play the game and not worry too much. Like you said, if I'm planning on scoring something and then someone blocks me or takes an action that I wanted to take, um, there's so many ways around it. And the first time I played it, I couldn't see all the options. And now that I've played it three times, I realized how many different ways you can achieve one scoring tile. And that makes all the difference. And so I definitely think the more you play this game, the more you'll enjoy it. You just need to get through like the heaviness the first few times. So I agree with Byron. It's not for first timers. But if you enjoy heavy Euro games, um, 
it's very rewarding when yeah. you do get it. Okay. Well, thank you so much, guys. That was Madeira. Um, if you're a fan of heavy games, definitely check it out. Um, the, the collector's edition does look lovely. Um, if not, you know, packed full of minis and stuff, it, it looks elegant. And, um, and, uh, it, I mean, there's a lot of gameplay in here. That's all I can say. Um, this is not, a, this is an opaque game, so it's, it's not transparent. You're not going to figure it out and then be done with it. It's going to take you several plays just to figure out all the options you have on the board. Yeah. And because of that, automatically, in my opinion, it becomes worth the money. But again, it's whatever floats your boat. If if your thing is Ameritrash, if you like more thematic games, steer away. If you don't mind something which the theme is pasted on, but the gameplay is super rewarding, I definitely recommend Madeira. So check it out. Um, there, the Madeira Collector's Edition Kickstarter campaign going on right now. Okay, so next I'm going to talk about Escape Tales, The Awakening. <gasps> the Awakening. <laughs> Published by... Link's Awakening. Sorry, that just came out. The new, yeah. Uh, well, the, the remake <laughs> of the... Do you want to tell them how you've been enjoying oh, I've, I've the been game? I've been watching gameplay videos <laughs> like crazy. <laughs> the last three days straight. <laughs> Okay, so I never played Link's Awakening when I was a kid, and now they've remade it, and it looks lovely. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's published by Board and Dice. The designers are Jacob Caban, Matt Dembeck, Bartos for this. Idzikowski. <laughs> wow, that's pretty good. And it was published in 2018. Actually, Ipo bought this game at Essen in 2018, and we finally got around to playing it a couple of weeks ago. So... I've played Escape Room in a Box, The Werewolf Experiment, Escape Room, The Game, The Four Scenarios, Exit, The Abandoned Cabin, and honestly, The Awakening was by far the most fun and immersive puzzle-solving game I've played so far. Um, basically, the story is you're all a guy named Sam, and your daughter's been in a coma for over two months, and the doctors can't explain it, like common, like mainstream medicine can't cure her. And the thing is, this has already happened recently to your wife and she ended up passing away. So now Sam, which is you guys. So cheerful. <laughs> has no choice but to perform a ritual that will, that will take him into a different dimension to save his daughter. Guys, isn't that an amazing story? Anyways, so <sighs> first of all, I love the premise. We were on a mission. We had to save our daughter. So you're not just solving puzzles to leave a room. You're trying to figure out this strange place you're in and how to rescue your daughter in this weird realm. So it's it's usually difficult to take a story and stuff puzzles into it. So I thought this was a cool way to do it. Um, so just to be clear, it's still essentially an escape room game with a story attached and not the other way around. So for me, the story was still so much better than any other escape game I've played. So um, if Escape Room in a Box was longer, so if it had like more scenarios or had like a more continuous story, maybe I'd feel the same way, but I just, I really like that it was one continuous story throughout all the rooms. Um, we finished the whole game in about six hours. 
excluding food and dog walks and um, the puzzles got gradually harder. So I I really felt it was well-paced and nothing was too frustrating. We got stuck maybe once or twice for a long time, but there are hints that you can use. And I like the fact that the hints don't really lower your score or anything like that. So there are several endings depending on the decisions you make throughout the game, which I thought was fantastic. I love that. We ended up reading a few endings just out of curiosity, but I was the most happy with ours. Um, Some people I read on Board Game Geek uh, didn't really like the endings. They weren't really satisfied, Um, but I really enjoyed it. I know that Elias has a different opinion about the game, but... um, Overall, I would totally recommend it for puzzle solvers. (laughs) Look, look, here's the thing about this game. One, this story about Dima told you, she told you the entire story. It all happens in the first paragraph (laughs) of the book, and then nothing else happened. The gameplay does not give you any story. It's just like a series of LSD trips. That's, (laughs) That's what it... And then they give you a conclusion, but in actual fact... That is the entire story of the, of the, so I disagree with Dima completely that it's got an amazing story. It's like all the other escape rooms. They give you a story in the beginning and then the game has nothing to do with the story. And then <laughs> they give you a conclusion. The only, that's, that's it. That, that's, that's the honest truth. So let me start with what I liked. I loved the puzzles. I think they were some of my favorite puzzles of any escape room game I've Agreed. played. But its main issue is I cannot figure out what it is. Is it an escape room? But there's no time limit and there's no penalty for not being able to figure out something. They just give you hints until they give you the solution, which we never did, but it's, it's an option there and there's no penalty. There's no time. So there's no pressure whatsoever. If, if something takes you two hours to figure out, it takes you two hours to figure out. But, so is it an escape room? No, it's a, it's, a, it's a series of puzzles. And so what is it then? Is it a story? There's no story. The story is your daughter's sick, so you do voodoo magic to try to save her. <laughs> and the voodoo magic has nothing to do with her life. So <laughs> it, it's, if it's not an escape room and it's not a story, is it just a puzzle game? Um. Because I think that's the way I can absorb it and accept it best. If I'm told this is a series of puzzles that you can do in sequence or you can take a break because you can save the game and just do it over the course, then I'm like, all right, there's some cool puzzles in here. But are they the best puzzles ever? No. I mean, I like the puzzles in Enigma a bit more. I like, I've seen, I've seen puzzles that I enjoy more. Um, or like stuff in video games, uh, whatever. That's not really comparable. But that's my problem with it. I'm not sure what it is, and that makes it harder for me to rate and review it, if that makes sense. All I can tell you is I had a really good time, and we played it for six hours, and I had a really great night. But I think a lot of it had to do with the group. I think a lot of it had to do with my personal enjoyment in solving puzzles. But to tell you that the game is an escape room, no, it isn't. And to tell you that it's a good story, no, it isn't. So that's my two cents. So 
I have to disagree with that in the sense that for me, my main goal, I love escape rooms. I love doing them whenever we travel. And for me, the game, the main fun is from solving the puzzles. And I actually enjoyed the fact that the puzzles weren't time bound. Like who decided that all escape rooms have to be time bound? Okay. So imagine they lock you in a room and they tell you, okay, solve this. And you go, (laughs) what happens if I can't solve it? Nothing. How long do I have? As much time as you need. What is the point? But the thing is, the pleasure for me comes from solving it, not from the challenge of solving it within a specific amount of time. These rooms, especially in this game, are hard enough that you can never solve them with a long period of time. At the end of the day, they're pretty simple puzzles. So the main complexity comes from the time element, in my opinion. I thought like I felt like six hours was long enough yeah i was tired i was tired of it by the end and there was a period in the game where i left the table yeah and i went and sat on the couch because i was bored you're just not as dedicated to puzzle solving (laughs) (laughs) real real escape just fired (laughs) and how did you guys do while i was on the couch (laughs) (laughs) not so well (laughs) and this was a key member in our detective uh, game (laughs) i've done it with adam <laughs> uh, so also, that Dima, was, oh, there was no yeah. time limit. You would just fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> to the credit of the game, Dima at no point almost fell asleep. So I think that says a lot about the oh, game. Wow. for Dima. Look, it's recommended as a puzzle game, but just mm-hmm. I don't agree with Dima at all that it's escape room or a storytelling game. I think it's neither. I think if you want a storytelling game about a dying person, go to Holding On. And if you want the feeling of an escape room, I think the closest one to it for me has been uh, Escape Room the Game, the one that had four or five scenarios in it. Mm-hmm. Um, that one felt that the one most like an fun. escape room. Yeah. But this one is just a cool puzzle thing. If, if, if you yeah. love LSD, <laughs> but don't have the money to buy a few tabs for this month, just buy this game and it'll take you on some <laughs> LSD. Uh, so Solid that was <laughs> <laughs> Tabletop tales. Sessions recommending games and ways to save money on your drug addiction. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're addicted to drugs, just start playing Escape Tales, The Awakening. <laughs> you're welcome. Oh, that was great. We got to play one of the new hotness games recently. Um, our friend Sergio El Matador was in Germany recently. And um, while he was there, he sent me a picture of Black Angel on a shelf at one of the game stores. And he's like, should I buy it? And I said, if you buy it, we'll review it on the show. So he bought it. He landed at night. The next morning, he was in my house in his Toucan PJs. We ordered (laughs) breakfast, breakfast burritos, and we played Black Angel, three players. And let's go through it. So Black Angel is published by Pearl Games. It's designed by Sebastian Dujardin, who by himself did Deus, which is one of Dima's favorites. Um, Javier George, who did Carson City and Ginkopolis, which are very well-regarded games. And Alain Orban. And together, as a team, they've designed probably what is their best-rated game, uh, individually or put together, which is Trois. Um, And this game is a spiritual successor to Trois. So both games are basically dice-drafting games, and they have a lot of similarities. Um, the The art is by Ian O'Toole, and the art is 
stunning, especially if you like purple and pink. If you like purple and pink, this game it's looks so nice. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Especially so, fluorescent pink. It was published a few months ago in 2019. The theme is humanity's fucked. Um, <laughs> there's no way out of that situation. Earth is fucked. Too bad. So in order to survive, this is my favorite part. They found a planet that can sustain human life called Spes. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you said that word during the game, I just cracked up. So they decide... To build this ship called the Black Angel, which is run completely by AI, and then they seed it with all the genetic material that is required to seed human life, and they send it to Spes. <laughs> but there's no people along the way. Um, there's no people in there because it's going to take like a thousand generations or whatever to reach. So, but in typical human form, they couldn't agree on which AI would run the whole thing. So there's competing AIs, and you as the players represent the competing AIs. And at the end, the validation process, also known as VPs, <laughs> oink, so creative. Get it? Um, the validation process, the one who has the most points on the validation process, will be the one that runs things when they get to spes. So in <laughs> <laughs> basic idea is it's a dice drafting game. However... You can use your dice or other people's dice. Yeah, that was good. So when others roll their dice, I can use Dima's dice, but I have to pay her. Um, they, these dice do a variety of things on the ship, such as gaining new technology, clearing damage from the ship, clearing Ravager attacks. The Ravagers are this evil, creepy race um, that are trying to blow up your ship. And they're like a bug race. And also you get to set up and complete missions in space around the uh, the uh, Black Angel as she flies through space. These missions give you rewards, resources, robots, victory points, sorry, validation process points, etc. And it's quite cool. The way you move through space, first of all, is super cool. It's like a cascading horizontal tiles. And over time, like as you progress, you take out the back one and put it in front and so on. Yeah. So you're moving through space on your way to space. And uh, <laughs> and you come across these different alien creatures, uh, these three alien races. I don't remember their name, the yellow, the gray, and the green. And I feel like that thematic element, as opposed to something like Madeira, made the game a lot easier to teach. Yeah. So the yellow aliens are supposed to be this super technologically advanced race. Well, the yellow actions always have something to do with tech. Piece of cake. Easy to understand. The gray aliens, they take the scrap material from surrounding other planets and lost in space, and they build space stations out of that, and they've become the richest race in the that we know about. And that's great because gray actions tend to be about repairing the ship and using the scrap metal to do more useful things, which is perfectly thematic the green aliens they're the ones that have been turned into refugees by the ravagers so they've been building weapons to fight them so you know what green does it gives you weapons to fight the ravager cards so that really made the game easier to teach for me because i taught it and i use that i also love how interactive this game is i love using others dice uh, knowing when to use yours and knowing when to use theirs. I love completing other people's missions as well as people sneaking in and completing some of your missions. 
Um, because no, just because you put a mission on the board doesn't mean other people can't come and use it. I love the cooperative, semi-cooperative aspect of maintaining the ship from the Ravager attacks and removing damage. But wait, maybe you don't want to remove damage now because it looks like Dima is going to have to reset her turn next. So she's going to have to take the damage dice. And I want her to take the damage dice because she loses victory points. So there's a lot of thinking about what your opponents are doing. What are they doing? How can I maximize my turn? Um, what do I have to use quickly before someone else does? And what can I lock away and what can I save and use it for later turns while I use other people's turns to have more actions before I have to reset my turn? It's a very interactive Euro and the theme really helps to teach it. There's only a couple of negatives for me in this game. One, the symbols are overwhelming and I think even at the end of the game, we were still using the little, um, reference sheet that tells you what everything is. Uh, it's not super confusing, but it's not clear. You can't just read it and understand it from the symbolism. This is not a major con. I think upon repeated plays, you'll get it and you don't have to worry too much about it. And the other thing that I feel is I never felt in too much danger from the Ravagers. See, the game ends in one of two ways. Either you reach Spes and then you score points, or the Ravager deck runs out, which means you never reach Spes. But you still get to score points and see who won the game. So it's not like if the Ravager's deck runs out, you all lose. So at one point I was in the lead. I chose to run the Ravager deck out so that I would win. So the Ravagers never felt like too much of a threat. And... Um, I think that's the thing. And another thing that's neither a pro or a con, or I should say could either be a pro or a con, depending on your perspective, is the strategy was more tactic tactics and strategy, meaning it felt more reactionary than long-term. For me, that is a negative. For many, many people, they prefer something like that than having to think two hours ahead for their turn. Um, so I'm not going to list that as a negative. But just so you understand... At the end of the game, me and Dima were within a few points of each other, and we were both just scrapping whatever we could do okay. to gain us a few extra points in our last turn to win the game. And I ended up edging out by a few points. But I don't put that down to my brilliant strategy. I feel like I just was able to react better than her by a few points. That's it. I was able to gain a few points more than her in my last reaction. So I feel like... If that is a big deal for you, that you would rather have a plan that takes you know an hour and a half to play out, uh, this game is not like that. It doesn't. There is no super long term strategy. Um, the the closest thing are your your low adva advanced scoring tokens uh, technologies, but they're still maxed out by the number of points you can get. So it, it's never going to be like I'm putting all my eggs into this basket. And I'm going to get forty points from this. If you never get it to the end of your tech tree, it's going to be a maximum of four points. If you get it to the end of your, your tech tree and it goes into the side, you're maybe going to get eight, 10, 12 points out of it. So you still have to react and be tactical about it and be smart about it. Uh, Dima, what did you think about Black Angel? So first of all, whenever you say spes, I just feel like you don't know how to say space. <laughs> <laughs> but um, overall, I agree with everything you said, honestly. For me, the short-term strategy part, I love. 
I am not a big fan of really long-term strategy because I sort of forget my strategy if it's more than three or four actions ahead. Um, but the dice part, I loved. I love that we could use each other's dice and especially that if you use someone else's dice, you can't change the dice roll. Obviously, higher dice rolls are better because you get more actions on the dice. And so you when you roll well, you're happy, but then you know that everyone's going to be using your dice and then you're going to end up with having to use their crappy leftover rolls. Yeah, but you're going to get a bunch of resources. Yes. Which means on the next turn, you're going to be able to use theirs. True. So there's an economy. Yes, there is. Yeah. So, so it's sort of balanced that way. Um, I, I love the fact that like in the beginning of the game, I was like 10, 15 points ahead of you and Sergio. And... It, you had a lot of time to catch up. Like it's not a game that's too um, punishing and uh, you can change your strategy throughout the game. You have your goal cards that you can use. I agree that the symbols aren't very clear, but they're not that hard to understand. Like if you use the, the player sheet, it takes two seconds to True. read what the card does. So it's not like it's a long paragraph that explains it. Um, overall, it I felt like it was a light game uh, once you understand what a the actions game? are. Yeah. No, no chance. <laughs> Ticket to Ride is a light game. Okay, okay. Me <laughs> medium light. It's a medium. In, in the sense that when you, once you understand what the actions are. It's heavier it's, than Deus. Yeah, by quite a bit. It's heavier than Deus. True. Yeah. But I didn't feel like they, like there isn't like a ripple effect to your actions. Like you put your dice and you can do one action. So once you know what your six action options are, it's pretty straightforward. You just have to get used to the type of actions but, you But can that's do. where I disagree with you. And that's how I caught up. As you say, you were like 15 points ahead of us. Once you build your tech, you didn't do a lot with regards to tech, building True. your own technology grid. But I was using that technology grid like crazy. So mm -hmm. every turn you use your technology grid then you place a dice action. And if you can chain those well, there's a lot of points to be had. There's a lot of combos to be done. True. So, you know. I was I, trying I, to get to Spess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, so I don't necessarily agree with Dima that you can't really <laughs> combo up. I think some turns had a lot more happening in them than others, for sure. Mm -hmm. But I still felt like all of our turns were pretty quick. Yeah. And. I think, I think our criticisms are fair. And the fact that, um, my my criticism about symbols, really, I agree with Dima. It's not that big a deal. Unless you're totally averse to symbols, you'll be fine. Um, I do don't I, I still don't like the fact that the Ravagers don't punish you enough. I, I, I also think that's an issue. I think we slowed down too when we noticed the Ravage deck was running out. We no, stopped. because the more you uh, put missions out, the more you cover up Ravager tokens, mm -hmm. Ravager symbols, so it's less likely that Ravagers are coming out. So in the beginning, all the space tokens are revealed. So everything you put on the board releases Ravager tokens. True. Yeah. But what I will say also is um, I really like the game. Me too. I don't want you to get any idea that I didn't. <laughs> I want to play it three, four more times this week, which I'm planning on. Yeah. And if um, I haven't tried Trois yet, I would like to try Trois, and I will, I will own Trois or Black Angel. So that's what I think about this game. I think it is a yeah. collection essential. 
it's one of the best games I've played recently. And I mean, the only reason for you not to want it is if you're not really into dice placement or if you don't like people messing with you because there will be, there's no <laughs> cards that screw each other over, but you will do things so that other people cannot. Like that's yeah. what I was doing with Dima and she got a little bit irritated with me. <laughs> but even then, it's 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 a good driving force to make you want to like think about your strategy in your next turn. So I 100% agree that it's to be part of the collection. And uh, yeah. Because Trois is very similar, but every turn you're drafting, you're taking three dice. And they can be a combination of yours or others, you know. So there's a little more decision making in what combination of dice you want to get. Okay. But I love the theme also on Black Angel and the art. So I really need to try Trois so that I can quickly pick which one of those two I want in my collection. Because I loved it. Dima loved it. And I feel like I can get it out because of that theme. I can teach it to a lot of people, which yeah. makes it a game night regular. So highly recommended from from our couple of plays and uh we really we really think you know if if you're into euro games dice placement games um check it out byron does it sound interesting to you it does but i'm a bit worried when when you went on a tangent about how you didn't like that the symbols were overwhelming and uh, as, as i said it's not the it's not that bad the the, the symbols no, but I feel a lot more confident when you said it's definitely deserves a spot in people's collections. And when a guy with over a hundred and something games says it deserves a spot, then then it's <laughs> worth a try. Agreed. Check it, it gives out. it some weight. Check yeah. it out. Yeah. Check out Black Angel. <laughs> Two hundred, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, guys, back to another item of news. So we all remember the success that was Seven the Continent. I loved it. Ricardo, I think, loved it. Elias did not. I think I, people I loved it. it. Elias did love it. I, I didn't love it. No, I like liked it. I liked it. Um, you didn't, and that's why it's gone. Like it. So, yeah. so they pretty much retired the whole seventh continent, and now they've come up with seventh citadel. They they released a press note sort of thing, um, which pretty much says. In 7th Citadel, a solo or cooperative choose-your-own-adventure board game where you're going to be exploring terrain and building weapons and surviving. To me, it sounds exactly like 7th Continent. <laughs> uh, the main difference seems to be 7th Continent was I'm surviving on an island, and this game <laughs> is I'm surviving on a fantasy island. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it, it seems more like it's going to have traditional fantasy elements. Um, in a weird sense, I, I did talk about Link's Awakening, uh, which just came out, of the, but, but it's kind of like that. You're going to wake up on an island you don't know. It's got a lot of fantasy elements, and you're going to go around and try to explore and survive this game. Um, no, I, yeah, I'm excited yeah. for when the Kickstarter eventually launches. Hopefully, we get to see more of the game. It looks like the art's been a bit recycled from the, the promo photo that they've given us art style hasn't changed at all I'm, i think I'm it's the same worried. people so yeah because don't forget the designers also did the art for seventh continent no so sure. it's probably it's probably going to have the kickstarter is supposed to come out in 2020 so they say release 2021 based on me backing seventh continent it'll take more than one year 
So look for probably 2022, unless they've really efficiently got it down. Um, yeah. Look, it's cool. I like it. I like the idea. But I also feel like Seventh Continent was unique because it was just exploring this weird island, right, which has curses all over it. Mm-hmm. I feel like there are games that where you explore fantasy worlds. There, they do exist, and um, yeah, not not like this, not like Seventh Continent, but I feel like for me it's a little less appealing because it's fantasy. Um, I'd like to see what major changes they've made. Cause, yeah, me too. Um, whilst a lot of people loved the system of the deck being your life and um, the push your luck system in Seventh Continent. For me, I didn't enjoy the gameplay of Seventh Continent. I especially didn't enjoy how much you had to repeat. The yeah. reason Seventh Continent was so high for me is what you're actually doing, which is exploring, it was like 10 out of 10 for me. But the gameplay yeah. was like, eh, it's fine. So overall, the gameplay fell somewhere like good or definitely above average. I'd say maybe a 7 out of 10, 6.5 out of 10 for me. So if, if it's going to be the exact same gameplay... I'm a little less interested because the, the fantasy doesn't appeal to me as much. I agree. So, like for me, games like Time Stories and Seventh Continent, where you need to repeat the same game several times in order to like try a different path, that I didn't enjoy at all. It, I felt bored. But Byron, I think of all of us, you loved Seventh Continent by far the most. So, if you're I, excited for it, then I'm excited for you. <laughs> I did. I don't know if I'll back it. I have to see that it's going to be a different game. Otherwise, what's the point of owning two identical games? Um, well, if you run through all the curses, this is a different world. <laughs> sure. lot, because I know Ipon and Leno, when they were playing it, they were like, what's the point? We've seen the whole island at this point. Yeah. Um, so I don't really, they don't really have the drive to do a lot, some of the other curses. Mm. And I was explaining to them like, well, there's new rooms and stuff like that. But overall... Um, they were less excited. So this would be a whole new island or a whole new world to explore. So if that was the driving thing, discovering, drawing the maps out, figuring it out, then I, I see the point in a whole new world. So yeah. a whole a new, new world. world. <laughs> okay, so that was 7th Citadel by Serious Pulp Games. At least I hope it's Serious Pulp. Please don't shout it's not. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not we'll cut it out Serious <laughs> back to the news so something's been brewing on kickstarter and that happens to be an anti-union issue now initially Ooh. one or two of the guys got fired for apparently organizing a union now normally that wouldn't really be much of an issue but it's gotten a lot of attention it's not just that I, this was suggested to us by one of our listeners, Arseni. Shout out to Arseni. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and thanks for contributing ideas. I, I mean, if you noticed, we talked about Madeira, which is a Kickstarter. We talked about Seven Citadel, which is a Kickstarter. Um, Kickstarter is a huge part of board gaming. So even though yeah. this has nothing to do with board gaming, we do have like a communal ethical responsibility to discuss this. I'm not American. So it's less applicable. All three of us aren't American. So it's less applicable, but mm. I'm, I'm a human. And I like to see people treated properly. 
and apparently three people were fired for organizing a union. Now, I read it all and it seemed horrible, but being, you know, trying to be as not a judgmental, I checked out Kickstarter's response and it was such a cold vanilla answer corporate response. Just, you know, we'll be clear, no Kickstarter employee has been or ever will be fired for union organizing. But there's been no actual answer as to why this guy was fired after six years at um, Kickstarter. And all he was offered was one month severance if he signed an NDA, which he did not sign. So well done, buddy. But if this is in fact, if Kickstarter is in fact anti-union, how does that like, everything you back on Kickstarter, a percentage of that goes to Kickstarter and not insignificant yeah. percentage of that. So do you want to be supporting a company like that? Do you think that we should even consider this issue or is this an issue between employees or not? For me personally, I'm less inclined to back on Kickstarter just because I am a very, you know, employee first, point of view in, in the way that I see corporates running just because of how I would like to be treated and how I've treated people that have been under me uh, that I've managed in companies. It, it's very important that a person feels their complete worth. And if in order to feel that worth, you want to be part of a union, I don't think a company has any business firing you for that. I mean, Dima, I think has something to say because we've been recently discussing this. I don't know. Like just, putting myself in the company's shoes i i don't know what you expected from them to if if they did fire these people for having a union i don't think it would look good for them and if they didn't then i think this is the best kind of answer like not engage with troublesome employees let's say i i don't know whose side to be on it's it seems to be that these employees were um, treated unfairly, but Kickstarter isn't engaging at all in the communication or the accusations by everyone involved and the people following them. So it's really hard to decide if they were in the wrong. So I, I know don't you, know. You recently watched the doc. We re me and Dima recently watched a documentary on Netflix called An American Factory. Yeah. Uh, which is about a Chinese company purchasing a, a, a factory in America. And they had a big like anti-union campaign yeah. where they would, they hired a company which specializes in changing the mentality or the zeitgeist of a company. So they came in and they literally, their job was to convince people that unions aren't great. And then when they put it to the vote, apparently the employees voted against it. But the company had also fired a lot of pro-union people which mm -hmm. reduced the amount of people. So there's a lot of sides to be seen. I think I cannot tell you the truth of what happened, but yeah. if this is what happened, that employees were fired for, for wanting to unionize, then fuck Kickstarter. That's, that's my perspective. But I cannot tell you if that is the truth of the matter or not. But at this point, I see no reason to doubt it. It's happened with three separate people and Kickstarter has not provided a better reason for why they have been fired. Yeah, their answer doesn't seem very transparent. Let's put it that way. Just to say no Kickstarter employee has ever or will be fired for union organizing. Okay, so if they put the reason as something else, then they're off the hook. 
So I think that's a pretty easy way out. And it's just not very convincing. Agreed, Byron? Yeah, I've never really been a fan of unions because in South Africa, they just <laughs> tend to to mess things up and and not really do what they're intended to do, which is to protect the worker, the most mm. vulnerable. Um, in this sense, mm. how vulnerable are these Kickstarter employees? Because Kickstarter is not a bad company to work for, so their salaries are probably pretty decent to start with. Um, we don't know. I don't know what their packages are, so I can't really... No, agreed. About that. I love that and, and there's a big issue about yeah. tech companies being very anti-union, but tech companies are also known to cuddle and baby their employees, but also expect way too much from their employees. No, so true. yeah, so it's 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 not it's not as easy as looking at a mining union and yeah. saying, you know, these people are you know th these guys are white collar jobs in, in in San Francisco in Silicon Valley, um, so it's it, it's yeah, but but at the same time, if a company would like to unionize, if an employee base would like to unionize, whether or not you think unions are useful or not, mm. I don't think the company has a right to terminate someone for wanting to unionize. That's that's. No. I mean, they have a they have a right, but I, I don't think it's cool. But <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. But America has a different stance on unions to to the rest of the world, from what I understand. Um, unions are either loved or extremely hated in America. And this might be one of those instances where people don't want their employees to be in the union. Yeah. Well, it's definitely something to think about with your next Kickstarter purchase. Um, I'm by no means pushing anyone to not use Kickstarter. Um, I've put so much money into Kickstarter. <laughs> I just think that now I would like to see more from Kickstarter and and know more about how they, what happened with these employees before I give them any more of my money because at the end of the day, your dollar is what's paying for these guys. So um, think about it, look into it, research it, know where your dollar is going. That, that That's always the way, the best way to make change in the world. So, yeah. It reminds so, me of the old adage um, where you're not wrong, you're just an asshole. <laughs> exactly yeah yeah they could still fire a person for being anti-union there's nothing i don't know if there's anything protecting them that's you know but yeah you're gonna be a cock about it you know like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man all right well thanks for that i'm sorry to go from such a serious depressing issue but right now we have on something on a brighter note that's gonna cheer you guys up <laughs> by a lot it's time for the game show of the week baby we need more cheerers. Yeah. <laughs> we do. We need, we need a whole pom pom band. <laughs> Listing games, the nerdiest of nerd things. But Dima says your time is up. So, welcome to Listing Games, the nerdiest of nerd things. So this week, I'm going to give to you a category and you'll each have 30 seconds to list as many board games that fit that category as you can. You're going to get one point per game you list. Okay, so for example, games with alcohol, games with goblins, etc. Okay, any questions? No, got it. <laughs> okay. okay, so who wants to go first? Elias, uh, Byron. Okay, I'll go first. 
Byron definitely wants to go first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Byron. So that Elias can't beat me by like a gun. Byron, games with animals. So Zuloretto, um, Wingspan, uh, Caverna. Um, oh, uh, there's one or two others. There's species, dominant species. There's evolution. There's... I don't know. I, I, I'm, at a, I'm at a roadblock. But I'm happy with those five. Byron, five points. Uh, okay, I'm okay, I'm okay with that. Games with animals, bro? All right, whatever. Byron, rhino hero. <laughs> okay, okay. To be fair, he's not really an animal. <laughs> <laughs> he's a superhero. Okay. Elias, you're up. <laughs> Ready? Yeah. Bluffing games. Oh, wait, wait. You have to tell me when my time starts. As soon as I said bluffing okay, games, I all right, started. All right, okay, right. go, go, go. I, I it started, it started, poker. go. Poker. Um, uh, skull. Um, uh, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> and you mocked me. Ah, shut up. <laughs> um, bluffing, bluffing. I don't know. Um, uh, <laughs> fuck if I know. Bluffing. Uh, um, skull, poker. Um... Sheriff of Nottingham. How is, that the same? How is that the same as games with animals? First of there all, there are so, so many, so many bluffing games. Every single card game, Shot and Totem, Sponsio, Sheriff of Nottingham. Uh, Shantan is not a bluffing Shot, game. No, Shantan's okay. not a bluffing game. There is okay, not, nothing Sponsio. about it. Sponsio is not a bluffing game. Yeah, it is. No, it isn't. You don't bluff, you bet and you play in sponsor. Okay, so Byron wins. <laughs> ah, I'm on a winning streak. <laughs> Elias is not a good loser. No, it's not no, that I'm not a good loser. No is that, all right, here's, here's my thing. Dima, you have to go find me cars of this color. Dima, your choice is red. Byron, you have to go find me colors that are pale lily blue. Like right, that. Easy. I, can, I can do that anytime. It's not the I, same. Com I can give you six game. bluffing games right now. Go, Byron, go, do it. Well, so, no, battle, no, yeah, no, Battle Star no, Galactica, Citadel, uh, Poker, obviously. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm on three already. So. You used one of my. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so the winner is Byron! This is the worst game Yay! show of the week. I hated it so much. So that oh, was. Here you two, games with animals <laughs> or bluffing you. Listing Fucking games, ridiculous. the nerdiest of nerd things. <laughs> <laughs> I demand a second round. No, you lost. <laughs> and demand another category. <laughs> Byron won. And, and, Elias lost. And it should End be, of game. It should be Moving games on. with noun. That's what it should be. That's what I want. I want games that's, with that's noun. True. You should give them games set in Spain. Fine, I lost. But give me one with noun. I'll tell you about <laughs> Games with goblins, go. She, she's a fucker. You know what I'm saying? Go, go, yeah, she is. go, go. Uh, uh, fuck it, you're right. I don't know. World of Warcraft. <laughs> World of Warcraft. That's what I got. I got That's World of Kevin Warcraft. Game of AKs. I got, I got Descent. I got Vast. I yeah. got, um, yeah, I got Goblins Inc. I got, um, 
our imps, goblins, dungeons, dungeons and dragons, dungeon lords, dungeons and dragons. Yeah, that's way easier than bluff. Yeah, games. Byron's the one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! What a ridiculous thing. Okay. So oh. Ifo's not here. What do we do next? Uh, we have a way better song playing in the background. Can you hear it? Uh, I can yeah, hear it. totally. Yeah, it's amazing. Guys, it's time for the Africatic Corner. So guys, in absence of Ippo, we have we do not have our token European, but we do have two Africans in this group, and we are going to go for it. Recently, on the 24th of September, there was a Heritage Day in South Africa. Heritage Day is basically a day where we all get to dress up in our culturally appropriate clothing, and, you know, just really feel connected with everyone else. It, it's quite a good sensation you walk around the shopping malls everyone's in their colorful dresses you know the, the spirit of togetherness really is there on heritage day um we've also misappropriated it and made it our bride day but you know <laughs> barbecuing is pretty much in our culture so we do that it's basically politically correct halloween that's <laughs> <laughs> no a little bit better than that <laughs> there's no candy. No, no, I get it. Yeah, it's it's like it's like celebrating the variety of people and the differences and similarities of people. South Africa is a very diverse place, and um, definitely having something like Heritage Day. Yes, you are South African, but you are also Zulu. You are also um, Afrikaans. You are also uh, etc. etc. So yeah, Sutu Kosa. There's there's awesome. many many groups. So. In recognizing that, we decided to do the top three today on Africa. Woohoo! So we're going to go so, with top three games in Africa, either made in Africa, designed by an African, or set the theme in Africa. I'm going to go last because this is my top three and I get to decide. <laughs> Dima, should losers one, oh, go first? Oh, then, oh, then Elias okay. should go first. Then it should definitely be you, Dima. Should sore <laughs> losers go first? <laughs> well, I my think list you is beat better me than yours, so you go ahead and today. start, Dima. You have the crappiest list. <sighs> Fine. I'm going to go first, but only because um amazing. Okay, so my number three was Ware. I think I uh, spoke what about is it? Ware. No, that's not oh, it at all. Try, yeah. Ware. Close enough. So you want to say it? Ware. <laughs> Ware. Okay, so that's my number three. It's a two-player game that we bought when we were in Ghana, and it's similar to Mankala. I'm playing it, it since I was a child. It can be played in 10 minutes. It's a lot of fun. You basically have, each player has, it's a two-player game. Each player has like these six bowls in front of them, and there are four seeds in each bowl, and you basically... On your turn, you pick up all the seeds in one of the bowls and then you drop them one at a time uh, in anti-clockwise. 
motion. I think thematically it's supposed to be you're sowing the seeds or you're harvesting the seeds. Awesome. Yeah. So basically on the last spot you drop on, which always has to be on the other player's board or not necessarily. Yes, it does. Um, if you end up with three or two seeds in that bowl, you can pick all the seeds up and then you, you move clockwise and every adjacent bowl with two or three seeds you can also pick up the seeds yeah so, so you can build up like cool combos on the, in the exactly yeah. so in the end the person with the most seeds wins it's super simple super straightforward i learned the game about a year ago and i loved it we played it constantly in ghana so my number two is 10 days in africa i love this game i loved it in Ooh. person online yeah. So basically, you're drawing cards, and the cards either represent different countries in Africa, uh, cars, planes, and you basically have to line them up secretly and then reveal your cards when you've created a 10 day trip through Africa that doesn't break any traveling or logic rules. So um, it's. It's a lot of fun. It's very simple. Like a lot of people play it with their kids. And I think there's like, there's like a family of these games, like 10 days in Africa and then 10 days in Europe or something. I know they've created similar ones, but I've only played this version. So my number one is Targi. Nice. And Targi actually, um, I just learned today is, um, they're nomadic barbar <laughs> tribes that I learned span across the Sahara from parts of Libya, Algeria, Mali, Burkina Faso, and Niger. So that was awesome. Um, basically, the board is a five by five card grid, and it's like a worker placement. You have to place your three workers every turn on the outer edges, and then you do the outer edge actions plus. Uh, whichever center card matches the row and column you're on. Um, you can also play it on BGA. It's, it's worker placement. You get your resources and then pay for cards that you can place in your tableau that give you certain abilities. And it's basically a race to the finish line. And then in the end, you count your points. I really enjoy the game. Me and Elias play it on some uh, days where work is slow. <laughs> We just start like a live game on BGA. Hope no one from work is listening. Uh, so yeah, that's my number one. That's my top three. That's a great list. That's a great list. Elias, how about guys. yours? Well, uh, one thing I noticed is there are not enough games set in Africa or designed by Africans other than traditional games. I didn't really put any traditional games on my list just because I wanted to keep it... Um, as accessible as possible to everyone who's listening and we have a very diverse audience there are a lot of lovely like local abstract games ora is one of them um and uh there are tons of those but i didn't include anything like that I'm, but i'm really glad dima did also i didn't think about games designed by africans so now that you mentioned it i really hope i hope Byron put snowblind on his list because that's a really good game by a south african designer uh, about a race to the pole because the theme has nothing to do with Africa, but it's 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 quite good. But in general, guys, there needs to be more Africa games. Like basically, there's 
DR Congo, other than my list, you're going to find uh, on BG, there's DR Congo, West of Africa. There's the Jumbo Asante series. And then there's either a bunch of games about exploiting Africa or World War II North Africa games or Egypt games. Like you don't find a lot of games about or set in Africa. And that's a shame because it's really a wonderful, diverse, beautiful place. And I think you could find a lot of wonderful themes if anyone took the time. Um, so this is a challenge for any game designers who are listening. I would love to see your game set in Africa. That being said, there is a game that should be my number one, but I have never played. And that mm -hmm. is The Great Zimbabwe. And it's designed by the guys over at Splatterspellen. And I love everything they make. So I'm just telling you from now that that should be my number one, but I couldn't mm -hmm. put it there in a, in a clean conscience because I haven't played it. But because I mean, Fortune Magnate and Antiquity are in my top 10. And it's the same designers, plays in two hours or less. Theme about the tribe, the, the Great Zimbabwe, the ancient city in, 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 in what is modern day Zimbabwe. Um, uh, it's just, it's just something that I must own. So check it out. All right. So here are my top three. My number three is the best game on the list, which is weird, <laughs> but I have it as my number three because it's approach is not how I would like to see Africa games portrayed. And that is Mombasa. So Mombasa is one of my favorite games, and it's definitely the best game on this list for me. But even though it's set in Mombasa, it's from a completely European colonization perspective. Um, the reason it still makes the list is because it does handle it tastefully. The first page of the rule book, it tells you what you could read if you want to know more about what happened and the exploitation of Africa and the diamond trade and so on. So it does draw your attention to that. It doesn't completely ignore it and treat Africa like some alien planet or some fake island like Catan. So mm -hmm. it is there. I just wish there was more Africa in the game called Mombasa. But as for gameplay, you can't go wrong with Mombasa. That's my number three. Um, my number two, Hannibal and Hamilcar, which is the reprint oh. of what used to be called Hannibal, um, Rome versus Carthage. Clearly, Rome is not in Africa, but Carthage is, and people forget that. It's in modern-day Tunisia, and um, you can still see the old Carthaginian harbors. Uh, they're a sight to behold. You can even see them on Google Maps, and they're impressive. Um, so check it out. It's uh, Hannibal is African. Carthaginians are African, and uh, they played a huge part in history, in the Punic Wars, and you know, other than the barbarians being the closest thing to bringing... Rome to its knees, it was it was these well-advanced Carthaginians who were actually more advanced in terms of trade and culture than Rome at the start of the Punic Wars. Just too much infighting. <laughs> that always doesn't end well. Uh, but it's a great game, very thematic. It's a tough rule book to get through, but it's a beautiful production, the latest Phalanx edition, and uh, we really enjoy playing it, especially me and Ipo. And my number one on this list drum roll is a solo game called zulus on the ramparts yeah which is set in natal in south africa and whilst you are also playing the english during the zulu wars um it is handled very tastefully uh, at no point is i mean unless you're completely like ignoring the history of it and just looking at it as like, I'm the good guys, they're the bad guys, like you're playing some fantasy game. It does not treat the Zulus as bad guys. Just 
what happened in this little building in the middle of uh, Natal in South Africa, in the middle of Zululand, was um, there was a small like religious monastery thing. Not really, I don't even know what it was, but it was something headed by priests. But the British army set up base in there. And then they were attacked by uh, the Zulu tribe, which was way more overwhelming in terms of numbers. But the British had guns, one, and they were uh, sort of concentrated and arranging, you know, volley shots and so on. And a few people held off a lot of people for a long time, sort of like 300 in that weird way. So the game is about holding off the Zulu invaders who are trying to, to take you out. But what's lovely about it, one, like they really respect Zulu tactics and the way that uh, Shaka Zulu was able to fight the British with spears and shields using their, their idea of how to attack the bull from the loins or the head. It actually pays attention to that historical aspect of how Zulus did warfare. Um, it doesn't make the Zulus seem like a bunch of savages. And it really reminds me of the movie Zulu, which is about the same topic. Um, and uh, in that movie, they really handled the Zulus beautifully. Uh, they respected the tradition. They respected the culture. There's some lovely scenes where they get into weird singing battles. <laughs> it's not singing battles, but chants from the Zulu side and the British side combining war chants, respect paid from both sides. It's really something special. And this game is basically Zulu the movie in a solo game form. Other than that, it's a 25-minute game. It's got a lot of deck management, hand management. It's a great puzzle. It's got a lot of luck, as all solo games have to. But it has you reacting to the luck as opposed to just rolling the dice. So there's a lot of dice rolling and then playing cards to see how well you prepared for what's about to happen, the attack that's about to come from the Zulus. So check those out. Mombasa, Hannibal and Hamilcar, and Zulus on the Ramparts. My top three Africa games. Those awesome. are some great choices. Just to go back to Zulus on the ramparts, it was basically about the the Battle of Rock's Drift, which was a mission Rock's state, Drift, yeah. a mission state uh, station, which is kind of like a church, kind of like hospital, come grocery, like in those settler yeah. times, it was your post office even. So when they were defending, there was mostly nurses that were in that in that station at the time, and the Zulus had just defeated the British army in Isildwana before they had moved on to the Rourke's Drift mission station. So, like, the Zulus were strong back then. Um, they beat British army with guns, with spears and shields. So, so that the way that you say that it captures that feeling. Yeah, there's only two tribes I know of in Africa that were able to hold the British for so long. The Zulus are probably the most fearsome, and the Ashantis in, in Ghana. We're able to, it took three wars for the Ashanti, uh, the British to break the Ashanti, which took almost 100 years um, to yeah. break them. So definitely, there's, um, they treated it right. They treated it with respect. Someone fighting for their homeland doesn't make them a bad person. You know, so it's... Uh, no, exactly. Um, yeah, so uh, it, it's really well done and uh, really highly respected. But check out the movie Zulu if you haven't, by the way. It's an excellent movie. Yeah. So. Okay, so now on to my list. I decided not to include things that just were existing games that had an African theme, such as Ticket to Ride with Africa maps or Power Grid with Africa maps, none of those sort of things. Yeah. I wanted to include Great Zimbabwe, but I figured Elias would talk about it, and I haven't actually played it, so I, I can't really offer enough criticism on it or anything. Yeah. Um, 
my my three games are Mombasa because I love Mombasa. It's pretty. <laughs> it's not a like Elliot said. The theme doesn't really tie into what you're doing in the game, but it's a great game. Targi, which Dima covered, because nice. <laughs> Dima hit the nail on the head. Nomadic tribes, and this is probably my favorite two-player game that I've ever played. Just because it feels more, haha! I did this. Now, what are you going to do yeah. about it? Yeah, yeah. And I quite like that and, sort and of interaction. It's very open play. I like that. Yeah, and then, like Elias guess, my number one is Snowblind. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not too sure if the designer is, is from South Africa, Simon McGregor, but I know the artist Rob Finzel is South African, um, and it's a game that definitely deserves more play. And I I like the game. Um, you guys played it. What do you guys think? I really liked it. It's a race to the pole and back, and it's more of a logistics game than anything. And I think it's really good. Um, I do think the designer is South African because they also did ancient terrible things and that was also published in South Africa. So yeah. it seems like the team is South African. That's the yeah. uh, that's the impression I get. Um, Pleasant Company Games, I think, is what it's called. Um, yes. So, yeah, whether, whatever it is, it's a great product to come out of South Africa. Snowblind is a severely underrated game. I mean... It plays super quick and it's really fun and deep and you roll the dice and then you draft the dice off this board and each dice does something different and it's just lovely and tactile and doesn't take up too much space and I really recommend it. It plays in under an hour with the full player count. So I really enjoyed the design of the game. Yeah, just, like, for sure. The yeah. mechanics of it moving up. like It was it was different enough that like you feel like it's a new type of game. I liked it. Great. Well, thank you for yeah. that, Byron. That, that was a great list. Um, my top three. Excellent. I'm glad we all got to do that. I think we all had very different um, top threes, which was nice. I mean, we had a couple of crossovers, but I'm glad we got to represent African designers, African traditional games, and good games, and also games that are really good, historically accurate games. Um, whatever it is, guys, um, just don't forget to celebrate each other's diversity um that's what heritage day is about um the differences are what make us strong they're what make us good and what make us happy you don't want everyone around you being the same as you tabletop sessions had at its peak 25 members with over 23 nationalities and that was what made us what we were such different perspectives on everything Africa yeah. is not a country. Africa <laughs> is a continent of a billion plus people with massively different cultures. Everything from the Egyptians to the Zulus to the West Africans to the Somalis. And, you know, the East African ideal is completely different from West Africa, from Southern Africa, from Central Africa. And really, yeah. it's a beautiful place. Even if you're not from Africa, I encourage you just to look at your life around you, wherever you are, and encourage that diversity. Don't run away from it. It'll make you stronger. All right, guys, that brings us to the end of this tabletop session. Thank you so much for listening. Please check out our very active Instagram account at Tabletop Sessions. You can reach us through Twitter at TT Sessions QA or 
join the conversation over at our Board Game Geek Guild. And you can find the link to all of these in the episode description. Please rate us on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts, or rate us through your Android podcast app of choice. Whatever you do, any stars you give us, any feedback you give us, it helps so much to get the podcast noticed, and it's really the best thing you can do to help support us. We'll be back in three weeks. And until then, to quote, you know what? I'm not going to quote that this time. I'm just going to say happy Heritage Day to everyone, and uh, be kind to people around you. Say bye, guys. Bye guys. Bye guys. Table top top. Table top Table top. Table top top. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to check out our sister podcast on Twitter or Instagram at StorySmithsCast. And if while you're here, we would love it if you could rate us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Table table top. Table table top. Table table top. Oh. Session.